Welcome to Living With, a podcast about the stories and people behind Health Union. Health Union integrates the power of human connection and technology, uniting people in the shared experiences of life with chronic health conditions. I'm Emily Downward. This episode is part of our series featuring the 2022 Social Health Award winners. The Social Health Awards recognize and celebrate those individuals who are essential to the ongoing conversations and connections made through social health. Some patient leaders are true stars who continue to shine and don't fit into just one category. The Lifetime Achievement Award is for longtime patient leaders who, after years of advocacy achievements, stand as role models for the entire online health community. Our Lifetime Achievement Award for 2022 goes to Crystal Kent. As an Army veteran, Crystal engages in legislative and healthcare advocacy to help the fibromyalgia and veteran communities better understand their illness, educate individuals on patient healthcare rights, help individuals apply for disability benefits, review best practices to advocate for their healthcare needs, and promote fibromyalgia support and awareness on social media. She is the founder of the Fibromyalgia Pain Chronicles and Veteran Voices for Fibromyalgia. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm truly honored and humbled to be here. We are so excited to be talking to you today and wanted to start with asking you, what does it mean to win this award for Lifetime Achievement? To be honest, I'm still wrapping my head around it. Um, And in some ways, I'd like to call it a half lifetime achievement award because I'm I'm 46 and I still plan on doing a lot more things but um, I, I'm going to say that it still feels a bit surreal um, to be presented with a lifetime achievement award um, just because going into things you know you're not we're not doing this to for recognition or awards or kudos we want to change systems for the better for patients and so a lot of times what people see is like only 20 percent of what we're doing everything is like behind the scenes and we just kind of plug away and we're chugging away doing our own thing and then uh you know to receive this acknowledgement and recognition it's kind of mind-blowing because i just feel like i'm just doing um, the best that I can do with my skill set and be a better human and hopefully leave a positive footprint um, in the world in the advocacy space. So um, that's kind of where I'm coming from right now at the moment. Well, I think you definitely leave a positive impression and, and inspiration to many people. Where did this all start? Like, when did you start developing symptoms of fibromyalgia yourself? And how long did it take for you to get that diagnosis? So the Cliff Notes version. (laughs) Um, I wasn't formally diagnosed until 2014. In 2007, fibromyalgia had been put on my radar where a rheumatologist at uh, Kaiser Permanente said, I think you have fibromyalgia and handed me like a trifold pamphlet of information and sent me on my way. from really 2010 to 2014, I, I really, my, my health was declining and I was having a lot of issues and weird, like medical nuances cropping up and 
not seemingly finding an answer, but the physicians were treating the symptoms. And then finally, I um, connected with a rheumatologist who specializes in fibromyalgia and um, through the Cleveland Clinic Foundation in Cleveland, Ohio. And she was the first specialist to sit down with me and kind of like basically do a timeline of the typical symptoms that most people with fibromyalgia experience and going through this timeline of symptoms identified i started having symptoms back in 2000 while i was still in the army and the symptoms albeit mild compared to what they are now um they started after a military vehicle accident i was in i was a passenger not a driver just want to let your listeners know and clarify that so um yeah so going back through the timeline she identified that the symptoms started in 2000. Mm-hmm. i was also seen by a neurologist um, just to rule out any neurological um, other neurological conditions that neurolo- neurologist independent of this rheumatologist at a different medical facility also identified the same thing going through the timelines and said yeah after this military vehicle accident you know you started having these symptoms which are typical of fibromyalgia and these symptoms which are typical and then finally also in 2014 a pain management specialist also identified um so these three specialists basically said that i've had fibromyalgia since 2000 um but it really wasn't until 2014 that I had the official diagnosis. That's a so, long time to go with symptoms and no no answers. It is, and it can be frustrating because uh, my experience for 14 years was physicians, you know, well-meaning, you know, trying to manage and treat the symptoms instead of looking at root causes or kind of looking at me as like a whole person and taking everything into the into account with my body and I'm a very much a whole person approach. So, um, but to be fair, uh, and it's why I parlayed into the advocacy space for fibromyalgia is not a lot was known all those years. And, and we've seen over the past two decades, a lot more interest and in, in more research and more advocacy and um, more doctors being open to um, learning about fibromyalgia so it was kind of like if the information wasn't there it you know it would be hard for doctors to identify um what is really going on and then there's the stigma and it's still there in this like stereotype that fibromyalgia is kind of like this wastebasket diagnosis when they can't figure out what they think the real issue is, despite all the tangible physical evidence of fibromyalgia being a real um, illness in its own right. So that, you know, all those issues and some of the barriers I faced um, is why I went into the advocacy space for fibromyalgia um, after years advocating in other spaces professionally. So I just just switched my skill set to a different area of need. Well, as someone who lives with fibromyalgia, I appreciate what you're doing. And I, I read that one of your advocacy efforts was even talking to legislators about the 
misinformation that we had on government websites about fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I felt that I had to do that at the petition at that time in, in 2021, because um, in light of COVID, it taught us how important it is that key uh, medical figures, entities, or institutes or organizations have up-to-date information. Yet, when you look at medical conditions, not just fibromyalgia, but um, a whole litany of medical conditions on the CDC website, the National Institutes of Health, um, the information is out of date. It's sorely out of date. And these are tax-funded, tax-driven entities and these are our tax dollars and i feel that it's important for legislators especially those sitting on appropriation funding committees for medical research understand that the funds being funneled to these agencies there needs to be more accountability with how the funding is being targeted ensuring that information is up to date and again especially in light of covid we found that it could be done and it needs to be done. When that information isn't up to date, then you're basically leaving medical providers and patients alike to wade through everything with, you know, no knowledge, no tools, no metaphorical armor to kind of fight through all the misinformation and, and, and just, you know, try to, uh, come to a point where you understand your health and start developing tools to help manage the symptoms. So I don't know if that makes sense, but it does. And it's, it's so impressive how much you understand about all the advocacy and, and why you're perfect for this, this role and, and this award. Um, so let's talk about veterans a little bit. How common is fibromyalgia among veterans? Well, one of the things with, um, the veteran and military community is there on the Department of Defense and Veteran Affairs side, there hasn't been much research targeted towards like fibromyalgia and chronic pain conditions. Um, a couple of things that have been done is they did identify that like veterans with Gulf War illness, if they develop fibromyalgia, that uh, fibromyalgia is kind of secondary or presumptive condition. Um, and there was many years ago, well over a decade, the VA in Boston, Massachusetts looked at combat veterans only who had PTSD and fibromyalgia just to see if there was some type of correlation, which they basically just went through medical charts to look at the information and how many combat veterans with PTSD have fibro and those who do not. And they surmised a correlation, but the problem is there's a lot of veterans who are not in combat that have fibromyalgia. I happen to be one of those veterans. And it also focused that, uh, I guess, uh, chart review, statistical survey only looked at male veterans and didn't look at female veterans and other groups of, you know, individuals within the veteran community. So that is not a qualitative uh, overview study. Um, so 
one of the things that we do know from the DOD in 2016 that veterans living in chronic pain, which fibromyalgia causes, are four times more likely to die by suicide than the general population. And that's double veterans living with PTSD. Now imagine veterans living with PTSD and, you know, chronic pain. Yeah. And then there's research out of maybe it's the university, the Karolinski Institute in Denmark or one of the uh, <laughs> like Netherlands uh, countries did a study about 10 years ago on the um, risk of suicide of people with fibromyalgia. And they found that those individuals are eight, eight to 10 times more likely to die by suicide compared to the population. And that those people that had ended their life they did not have any um, mental health condition or identified other triggers for um, suicide prior to developing fibromyalgia. And they concluded that lack of healthcare access, lack of management of symptoms and pain, lack of medical professionals and social support systems along with how having fibromyalgia is a major um, negative impact on financial security for individuals with fibromyalgia, that these were the contributing factors, uh, main factors for increased risk that high of suicide for fibromyalgia. So when you look at a veteran who has fibromyalgia, which puts them at eight to 10 times more likely to die by suicide with the chronic pain, which is DOD found they're four times more likely. And then if they have PTSD, um, you know, as a whole, both veteran and non-veteran, that, you know, it really is a silent crisis that is being ignored and not addressed. And mm-hmm. so moving through the veteran community and even um, military community, a lot of that advocacy really does involve engaging like legislators, um, policy, you know, advocacy and engaging admins and basically talking to trying to talk to the powers that be through the VA healthcare system um, and legislators when we're not, you know, when I'm not getting any leeway on the VA side of things. So, yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed at a a systemic level. Mm -hmm. Tell me about veteran voices for fibromyalgia. When did you start that and what services and support do you offer veterans? So I started as a private group um, on Facebook back in 2018. Um, and once I, you know, got some footing, because, you know, sometimes when you start something, you have to get your footing and kind of hammer out what direction you're going to go because there's so many issues to address and you need to figure out what are the best areas that need the most attention at the moment. So the two, the, you know, the promise of Veteran Voices for Fibromyalgia was to educate veterans on our illness, um, understand the VA compensation and pension uh, process when applying for service connection for fibromyalgia and what they need for their claim um, that could help strengthen it or just make it easier because there's three parts to the claim like the first part is you got to prove you have fibromyalgia and and a lot of times a lot of veterans are denied because they weren't 
you know, seeking healthcare through the VA or was misdiagnosed. So, you know, giving them that knowledge so that they can navigate the claim process makes it a little bit less stressful. Um, providing, you know, some community support on social media for that, but really also focusing on legislative and policy advocacy on behalf of veterans and, you know, military personnel with fibromyalgia um, because there's crossover. And so, again, that last one is really, that is a lot of advocacy work I do that's more behind the scenes, whether it's sitting in on town hall meetings, connecting with different directors at the VA, um, speaking with, you know, my senator's office, and sometimes senators or congressional leaders in other states if they were sitting on the VA uh, committees. Um, so yeah, and the whole purpose of that is because as a whole, fibromyalgia, there's not a lot of treatment options. There's some, and there's even less so on the veteran side of things for those who, you know, engage in healthcare at the VA. So addressing those things are in the hopes that we're expanding understanding, expanding um, or putting in place treatment options and like non-pharmaceutical options as well being offered through the VA to help veterans living with fibromyalgia and chronic pain. Yeah, I know some of my non-pharmaceutical options in my toolbox are, are some of the more effective ones. And that can be very difficult when you're dealing with traditional healthcare. Correct. Um, and the thing that's interesting about the VA, like when we look at healthcare systems, they'll offer like medically driven um, educational or social support groups. And looking at the VA, they'll have groups for PTSD, for a healthy lifestyle, losing weight, uh, parenting, anger management, um, those struggling with addiction. But they don't, you know, there's no consistent groups for veterans living with chronic pain. And, and so to identify, like, we need these groups because it helps improve outcomes for individuals that are struggling with other illnesses or factors in their life, but not applying that system you know, systematically for veterans living with chronic pain, um, basically the VA is falling short there. And, and that's, that's an area of support that veterans need, you know, or should have access to if they choose to want to engage in some type of educational, medical, or, you know, support group through the VA for chronic pain. Yeah, that's a huge need for sure. So you also founded the Fibromyalgia Pain Chronicles. Tell me about that. So that I originally upstarted late 2014, and then um, 2017, I kind of went full, full blown on social media with it. And the purpose of the Fibromyalgia Pain Chronicles was to optimize social media to reach people living with fibromyalgia, chronic pain conditions, other invisible illnesses, promote awareness, education, um, put out information on best practices to advocate for their health care, um, how, you know, really to address when doctors are not 
being supportive and assisting or you know at times even gaslighting patients and how what their what their actual federally and state protected patient rights are and what they can do to circumvent that problem but it's also to create a community of support so people realize that they're not alone and so while i put out a lot of informational content i also try to put other things out that is not necessarily related to fibromyalgia, but you know, something to remind people of their worth, to validate their struggles, um, you know, let them know they're not alone because um, again, having a social connection really is an identifier of how well someone does with any medical condition, not just fibromyalgia. And if I can bring that piece to someone um, and just help one person, then I feel like, you know, I'm really hopefully kind of changing the narrative and creating, um, you know, a group or a community where people feel safe and feel heard and recognized and validated. So that, that was the premise of that. And, you know, also along with like when working on systems advocacy or legislative advocacy for fibromyalgia, engaging um i know people call them followers but i call them my friends but um engaging my friends on social media to contact their legislators by email or phone asking for their support on different issues um, or needs for those with fibromyalgia that's incredible that's so many different things in the in there that i could, <laughs> I could dig deeper on but i love what you said about validation and I've seen that on your posts, like th that validation is so critical and also helping mobilize people to then take action and advocate for themselves. Yes. And, and the other thing is to help people really internalize that despite the fact that they're sick and what they're experiencing, it's still normal, like, and, and kind of, um, hopefully you know, there's a lot of self-esteem or people feeling like, you know, they have their self-worth is less or self-advocacy. So a lot of things I try to do too is to support those areas so that, you know, people can figure out that just because they're sick doesn't mean that they're not normal or that um, they have less value or that they don't have anything to contribute to society. And they do. And so that, you know, again, it, it's basically recognizing other people and acknowledging their struggle, even if they're similar, our journeys are different. And I always say that, you know, always, always share your story because your story can become someone else's survival guide on their healthcare journey. Mm. And, and so that, you know, we don't really necessarily see how much our our personal story um impacts people you know in the here and now like over time you can but that's the one thing is so many times not just with myself but i see it with other you know people i know and how those uh moments of really authenticity and intimacy bringing people into our personal experience um, can really make them feel 
motivated and validated and they're basically taking pages from your book and customizing them to their life and what works best for them to help them have a better journey as best as they can living with a chronic illness. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And I think that's so important. And what, what you shared of like, why, why it's important that each of us share our story. Thank you so much, Crystal. And thank you for your service as a veteran and also for your service as an advocate. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. And congratulations again on winning the award. Thank you. I love what Crystal shared about the importance of sharing your story, that your story can become someone else's survival guide. You can find Crystal online at the Fibromyalgia Pain Chronicles on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and also at Veteran Voices for Fibromyalgia, which is a website, YouTube, and Facebook. Health Union is the leader in social health with 41 condition-specific online communities and the Social Health Network, which encompasses more than 100,000 patient leaders covering nearly every health condition. You can learn more at health-union.com. Thank you for listening to Living With. I'm Emily Downward.